When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. You shouldn't settle for just any old pair of leggings. You deserve something better, something designed with you in mind, like the new Inspire leggings by Kalia. Their most versatile collection yet, made for any workout. They're lightweight, buttery soft, breathable, and made with Lycra adaptive fiber, which molds to your body for a barely there supportive fit. It's perfect for wherever your wellness routine takes you. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's best eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 6 times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. Hello and a warm welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and leading television critic, Rihanna Dillon. It's award season, and if I was giving out awards, I'd give one to Rihanna, she said, in an entirely ad-libbed... <laughs> and you're very upset, aren't you, because you weren't invited to the BAFTAs. It's fine, I'm not bitter. No, no, you've not mentioned it at all, <laughs> first thing she said. Uh, so what are we looking at this week? We are looking at Gordon Ramsay's Future Food Stars. There's a documentary on the Falklands War, the untold story which is out on Channel 4. And we're talking about the Netflix film The Adam Project, which has got a lot of big names, specifically from the MCU. Yeah, I mean, I have always... I've had a long-running soft spot for Mark Ruffalo. Mm. And in this time-travelling adventure, (laughs) he plays Ryan Reynolds' dad for all sorts of complicated reasons. I I, I don't really get the physics of it. I don't get time travel. Um, I'm glad... As far as we know, it doesn't exist, but of course it may do in the future. Plus, the long-awaited return of Bridgerton. I enjoyed this episode of Bridgerton. I enjoyed it particularly because there was no smut, but that was the thing that Rihanna was sad about. (laughs) Perhaps the smut quotient will go up during the course of the series. Now, I mentioned we're in the throes of awards season. Well, the Oscars are coming up on the 27th of March. And, Rihanna, you've got a little guide as to where we can see some of the nominated films on our domestic screens. Spoiler alert, it's mainly Netflix. Um, So apart from the disappointment of not attending the glittering BAFTAs, actually, what did you think of it? Because Rebel Wilson has had various uh, bits mean, of criticism but it's a, it's a no, it's people a, love to jump down the throat of especially female presenters oh, too right they? yeah <laughs> it's a really tough gig it, i don't care how much she earned for that i would imagine she felt she'd earned every penny yeah. at the end of it Absolutely. I mean, I think as with any award ceremony, it was hit and miss because that is the nature of award ceremonies. It's It doesn't know whether it's trying to be earnest or pure stand-up and it just falls through 
the cracks a little bit and isn't really either. Yeah, I think perhaps we're heading to a time when we might just have to ask ourselves... Why are these things televised? <laughs> yes, because or if they're going to televise it, why, you know, they really do, the BBC really did kind of pick and choose which bits to put on. Oh, did they? Okay. Yes. Of course, it's not live, it's is it? It's not live. No. And I think there were some quite interesting comments made about the Ukraine war and also the Craft Awards got really condensed down, which is a real shame because, you know, without those... People, and Britain's these I, films wouldn't exist. Britain's really good at that stuff as well, isn't it? That's yes. something Britain absolutely excels mm-hmm. at. What was really lovely about uh, the award ceremony for me was that Joanna Scanlon, who I I just think she's a genius, getting on was one of my favourite shows ever. Absolutely loved that. Um, she was in the thick of it as well, wasn't I know, she? Which was brilliant. Getting on for me was the show I really liked. Yeah. Do you remember that one? It was um, Joe Brand set on a, in a geriatric ward. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was really, really bitter, bitter stuff. But yes. God, I thought it was brilliant. Um, and she won for a film called After Love, which is a really gorgeous British film um, made by newcomer director Aleem Khan. It, like, it really did brilliantly at the Biffers as well, the British Independent Film Awards. So you can stream it on BFI Player or rent it on Amazon and Apple TV. And I just really recommend you would. It feels like quite a small, intense story, but just so beautifully portrayed. I was a judge on the Biffer panel and I remember a lot of intense conversations about her performance, but, you know, you can't deny that it is sublime and very, very brave. Okay. Um, well, I sense controversy here then. What, what were people saying? Well, there's a scene where she gets completely... She has to strip off completely naked. She looks herself in the mirror. It's about her husband who's passed away and then she finds out that there is another family. Okay. Um, but she's converted to Islam. It's about dealing with identity, her her as a woman, her as a Muslim, and it's it's a really fascinating portrayal. Well, I hope that she moves on from this to get more meaty roles of yes. this sort of nature. Also, because... she's, what, 60? Well, she's how 60, rare yes. is it that we see roles for women in their 60s put front and centre? Increasingly, I'm completely on board with that campaign. Yeah. <laughs> May that happen for a string of reasons. Um, yes, hearty recommendation there from Rihanna for After Love, uh, starring the now award-winning Joanna Scanlon. OK, um, I suspect a show that is perhaps not going to win all that many awards, but, but who knows? Um, first up on the Radio Times podcast this week is Gordon Ramsay's Future Food Stars. Now, it's on BBC One Thursday, the 31st of March at nine o'clock. In this show, Gordon is on the hunt for a UK food and drink business to invest in. He also wants to find a future food star, we're told. It's a kind of, you've probably already worked this out yourself, it's a gastronomic dragon's den. Here's a clip. Okay, how are we feeling? Good, yeah. morning. Yeah. Good, smells good. For me, yesterday, slightly fragmented. We're yeah. together. We're together. I'm not asking to be best mates. No, yeah. Yeah. They come here to have a good time, not to see us fighting. Uh, so, yeah. you know. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Get serious yeah. and yeah. sell, sell, sell. Remember? Yes. Yes. Push. Good right. luck. Thank you, Gordon. Oh my god, I need to pick up the pace. Right, how are we doing? Are you guys no. going to be ready? Yes, yes. We're yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about the prep at the moment, it's Get all about that. assembly. But that beach is packed. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. there's nothing on here. Yeah. Yes, I'm doing it now. Where's the pen? I was there. Let's go. This was, I have to say, I'm kind of with Rihanna here. This was a strange old show. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Dragon's Den because I thought it's The Apprentice meets MasterChef. Meets Dragon's Den. Meets Dragon's Den, By yeah. the sea. Because <laughs> there you go. the first episode is filmed in Cornwall. It's li- I mean, it is literally that, isn't it? He thinks he's Alan Sugar. 
Yeah. Gordon, old Gordon Ramsay. Well, he thinks he's action man. He arrives by a <laughs> oh helicopter. Oh, my God. It was the most cringe opening ever. I was like, op- honestly, open-mouthed at this. It's a programme about food. And he's yeah. like, let's make everyone jump off a cliff. And it's just so he could jump off a helicopter into the sea and then swim out. He looks, can I say, he looks good. The withering look I just gave Jane. <laughs> I know, it was appalling that. I think he's weathering rather well, um, old Gordon Ramsay. And he looks good in a T-shirt. I'm just, I'm look, I'm finding pleasure where I can uh, in shows that perhaps aren't really more than six out of ten. Yeah, um, and, and Cornwall, Cornwall did look lovely. Oh, gosh, the Cornish seaside is yeah. beautiful. Even when it is a kind of a bit stormy and a bit overcast, it's so moody and it is a beautiful set. It was clever to do this by the sea. As ever with shows like this, we've got a cast of characters... <laughs> that you wouldn't want to be stuck in a lift with. They're all here, aren't they? But that's what I mean by The Apprentice, right? But a lot of them are these obnoxious loudmouths who just want to be centre stage. They aren't really interested in the whole teamwork aspect. No. And to be fair, in their business, that's that might not be what it's about if they need to get to where they need to be. But also they've been picked for this show to cause trouble, which yes. at least one of them does. Yes. In the first. And I, I'm sorry to report on behalf of the vegan community that it is the vegan <laughs> The vegan who causes the ruckus. <laughs> yeah, there is a there's a huge argument about the price of mushrooms, which I, to be fair, quite enjoy. Fiery stuff. <laughs> yeah, there are some kind of hateful characters, but there's also there's a woman called Bola who I just think is amazing, who is just dresses completely retro. She has really beautiful wing, yeah, yeah, really beautiful wing glasses and fit fit and flare dresses. There's I think maybe the third Gallagher brother in this. Oh yes, <laughs> he has yeah. a muscles bar. <laughs> he sounds a bit. Like Bez from Happy Mondays. Oh, it was I mean there are some there are some really fun things to find in this. And actually, you know, after my initial distaste of Gordon Ramsay's entrance, I did find myself getting quite caught up in it. I have to say, what I really admire about Gordon Ramsay is his his level of enthusiasm. Right. Which he keeps up throughout certainly the first episode. He's energetic, yes. He really is. Yeah. And he genuinely appears to care. Yeah. And he's invested in this. We're told he's going to invest money. Yeah. Sure. His own cash. Is it? That's well, what he said at the, in Borough Market when he was wandering around doing his little intro. Yeah, OK, well, that's what he says, so we'll go with that. I do get a lot of enjoyment from watching his, what appears to be, to me, genuine interest in food yeah. and in people who care about it. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And also, I thought he was going to be, we're so used to seeing him be dreadful on yeah. those other programmes. And actually, he was pretty patient with these guys, which was quite refreshing to see yeah. that. He was actually talking to them like human beings rather than pieces of scum on the bottom of his shoe. He is, um, perhaps he's got a tender side. The other thing that I wanted to pick up on was the fact that we really moaned about the fact that the Great British menu was all about fine dining. Yeah. And it was really nice that this was all about shacks on a seaside. And toasties. A toasties and tacos. And I enjoyed that because it actually, it, you know, it meant that we could look at this food and recognise it for a start. I think that is one of the problems with um, with these sorts of ventures is you have to think about how quickly you can get the stuff together yeah. to serve the ravenous hordes. Actually, there didn't appear to be that many... Were the customers brought in? I feel like they were, because it wasn't like a hot day. No. (laughs) Um, So this is going across quite a few weeks, this show, so you may as well get um, get down and dirty with it. It's the Gordon Ramsay Future Food Stars programme. Starts on the 31st of March on BBC One at nine o'clock. Will you watch it again? I think I will, just for the hashtag FFS, which I thought was... Oh, yes. Either unfortunate or very deliberate. I've got a feeling it might be the latter, but maybe I'm getting as cynical as you. Now, the big one that's back, and it is big, and it is back, is Bridgerton. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my goodness, I'm really enjoying these links. Uh, yes, Radio 2 will call me eventually. Bridgerton returns to its cosy home on Netflix from Friday the 25th of March. That's when it starts to become available. But we're so lucky because we've seen at least episode one of season two. There may be some people listening, Rihanna, probably not many, but some, mm. who genuinely have no idea what Bridgerton is all about. So take us there. Where is it set? When is it set? So it's set in Regency-era London. So you can imagine the corsets and the ruffs and the hair and the feathers. Um, we are talking particularly about the, the aristocracy. This isn't upstairs-downstairs, really. And it's all about finding husbands and wives. It's as classic and as old school as that, except that there is a lot more sex than we're perhaps used to in our period dramas. This ain't no Jane Austen. No. I actually tuned in, as we no longer say, (laughs) full of anticipation for the second season of Bridgerton. And I have to bring it to everybody, and I hope they're not disappointed by this. There's nothing in the first episode. Be fair, we do see Jonathan Bailey's bottom. We do see Jonathan Which we've seen before. Um, Well, you speak for yourself. Um, He wasn't the lead in season one, though. Though, was he? So what, what's what's the change here? Yes, <laughs> I think millions of very, very disappointed men and women all over the world are just absolutely gutted that Reggae Jean Page isn't back as Simon because he was the one that swept Daphne Bridgerton off her feet in series one. But Daphne is back a little bit. She's going to pop up every now and again. This is uh, Phoebe Dinevor. Yes. Who has gone on to huge success. She's she? fantastic. Yeah, really, really great. Yes, basically a new season... And a new season in the ton means new romances. So we have Anthony Bridgerton, a.k.a. Jonathan Bailey, looking for a wife. The Sharmas are a new family in town. So the younger one, Edwina, is looking for a husband. And the older one, Kate, is vetting and making sure that any potential suitors are good enough. And we also have Penelope, who was revealed at the end of the last season to be Lady Whistledown. She's continuing to write, but is kind of being a bit more influenced by her very feminist friend, Eloise Bridgerton. Now, um, we need to explain who Lady Whistledown is and what she does. She's she's a, like a gossip columnist. Yeah. She's basically the head of Hopper, who was a Hollywood gossip columnist, yeah. but for the Regency ages. She just snipes about anyone and everyone, especially Queen Charlotte. Yes, um, and Queen Charlotte is a very imperious figure, isn't she? She's so good. With epic hair. She's got great hair. <laughs> I think the actress, actually, who is the actress? Golda Rochevelle. Yes, and she's just, she's, I mean, in a gentle sort of way, has just said, you know, my hair weighs a lot. Yes. And if you want a taste of season two of Bridgerton, here's a clip. It has been said that competition is an opportunity for us to rise before our greatest of challenges. This is the season the Viscount intends to find a wife. (laughs) Your Majesty, may I present... Miss Kate Sharma and Edwina Sharma. Only hope they like me. All you have to do this evening is remember what it is you're looking for. Someone charming. And handsome, of course. I do think the writing in this could be wittier. That was my main takeaway from this, apart from the lack of sex, obviously. Oh, but it's only episode one. <laughs> give it time. I just feel like there are quite a few missed opportunities. The bits I really love and really enjoy is seeing Claudia Jessie as Eloise, the feminist Bridgerton sister, who is just completely done with everything to do with society yeah. and what it wants from her as a woman. It's so refreshing and really... And she's so funny and she's got great 
she's got a great husk to her voice as well. I just like listening to her. I love watching her. She's always looks untidy and flouncing about crossly and reading. Ugh, you know, she's reading. I know, ghastly. It was brilliant. I really love her. And that you know, the pressures of being a woman are obviously still very much under discussion. Um, but there is always going to be that theme of marriage being the the end point. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that makes Bridgerton stand out so much is is the sex, but also the casting. I think because we have people of colour in Regency gowns, Mm -hmm. in lead roles, is something that we are not used to seeing. We had, like, Belle, um, which was directed by Amara Santi. Yeah, yes, I saw that, yeah. And that was the first time where I saw a woman of colour in a period costume, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a thing, this could happen. So I do commend Bridgerton massively for that. I do think that's really exciting. And I read a quite an interesting thing where the, the casting director was saying, this isn't colourblind casting, we are making deliberate choices. The fact that we have Indian characters in this series, and they're given an Indian surname, Sharma, I think is really important. And then you also have the heritage of Queen Charlotte. Who is based on the real Queen Charlotte. Yes, and there were apparently like rumours or something in the 1940s that her ancestry may have had um, some African ethnicity in it. And so that's where they got the inspiration to make Queen Charlotte black. That makes it seem sort of like less fluffy and less throwaway. Yeah, it it is both fluffy and throwaway and also quite significant, actually, as, as you point out. Also, I've been reading Jonathan Bailey saying that he is glad that this is filmed through, what do they call it, the female gaze. Mm -hmm. So the sex scenes are really about the woman having a good time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also really important Mm -hmm. and really, really nice Mm -hmm. to see. Yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that now as well. Gosh, do you think it'll catch on, do you? (laughs) What female having a good time? I wouldn't have thought so. (laughs) At the moment, with all the other stuff going on, I just forgot about everything. That's really nice. It's it's pure escapism. That's what we need. That's what we look for in these sorts of shows. Yeah, Men in Britches and much else besides in Bridgerton, uh, which will be available season two coming your way on Netflix on from Friday the 25th of March. Now, we will talk about The Adam Project, which is currently number one on Netflix and we'll talk through the Academy Award nominees with Rihanna who will also tell us where to find the movies that are nominated. First though, something very, very different. The Falklands War is 40 years ago now, 40 years ago Um, and The Falklands War, The Untold Story is coming your way on Channel 4 on Sunday the 27th of March at 9 o'clock. Here's a clip. Speaking publicly for the first time, the then commanding officer of the SAS reveals how close the task force came to defeat. They say it was down to 10 minutes that we might well have lost the war. Commanders and ground troops talk candidly, shedding new light on flaws in the operation. The whole command chain was utterly dysfunctional. That's a clip from The Falklands War, The Untold Story, which is on Channel 4 on the 27th at 9 o'clock. Um, Rihanna, I know you're, you're too, genuinely too young to remember anything about it. What did you think about the documentary as a documentary? Honestly, I found it quite difficult at the beginning to get a grasp of what everybody was talking about. And I know that sounds quite silly, but it's because, you know, they're talking about the 4th Brigade and this brigadier and the language that they use, the military terms that they use, I found really difficult to grasp. So you think it was a lot of assumed knowledge? Well, it just felt like another... You know, like when you're reading A Clockwork Orange and you have to get into the language that he uses because it is a different 
kind of vernacular. And it takes you a while, but once you've got it, you've got it. I sort of felt like that with this. And I found the first half of the documentary really difficult to follow because they were talking about all these different groups of men. And it wasn't until the second half when these men were actually talking like human beings and not soldiers that I finally really got what they were talking about and felt the emotion and was really moved by what they were talking about. I wonder whether they didn't bother explaining too much simply because they're realistic about who is going to watch yes. this. And and I suspect that if you're my age, and I was in my final weeks at school during the oh Falklands War, and it was quite, it was, as you can imagine, it was a massive talking point in the old uh, sixth form common room because mm. the concept of Britain sending warships halfway across the mm. world to fight a battle over a group of islands we'd actually never heard mm-hmm. of. Well, until we had heard of them. Yeah. Um, it was honestly quite mind-boggling. Do you remember what the kind of conversations were in terms of the support? There was all this kind of stuff about pa- patriotism mm. and people well, waving d- them off with yes. flags. And what was it like for you, for younger people who perhaps weren't so... Ooh, well, I remember in, in we had an assembly at school about it and, um, as I say, I was very close to leaving. I was almost mm. 18 and... Um, we, we we sang in assembly, I vow to thee my country, you know, very patriotic. And the entire, from what I remember, the entire upper six threw our hymn books on the floor and didn't sing it. Oh, interesting. It was a very odd time to be around, actually, if you were someone who's beginning to be uh, already, I think I decided I'd like to be a journalist mm-hmm. and I was really interested in what was happening in the world. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was a very, very peculiar and very heightened time in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. And everyone was talking about it. And I think this documentary points out that both Britain where Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister, she'd only been in power for two years and she wasn't very popular. Mm. So the, you could interpret her as need, needing a war, which is a truly terrible phrase, but it certainly suited the government for yeah. the focus to be on something other than what was happening at home. Mm-hmm. And you could say exactly the same about the rather horrendous right-wing government in Argentina, yeah. um, which was a military junta and was also incredibly unpopular. Mm-hmm. So it, it was almost as though the two sides were and I hate to use the term, but glad of the opportunity yeah. to take attention from their domestic struggles. That's what the documentary sort of implies at the yeah. beginning, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's talking about the very base level of washing machine warranties not working and cars not being made properly. Yeah. And that was the general mood, was that our country was rubbish. We were going to pot, yes. basically. And, and that's why they needed something... Yeah. Which is, as you say, a horrendous terminology. It's, it's awful, and particularly in the light of everything that's happening in the world yeah. right now. And I think what, what also, um, we, I suppose I haven't thought too much about it since, but I understood that Britain's military operation had been really successful mm. and relatively slick. Yeah. And watching this, you realise that, as I imagine in every wars, military yeah. operation yeah. in most wars, things go wrong, things are poorly organised, badly managed, communication isn't very good. And egos come into play as well. Egos and class, and class. was something really interesting yeah. that they talk about quite a lot. And, I, you know, we hear from the men who fought and we hear from different regiments mm. and, you know, hearing from the kind of foot soldiers. I, I, honestly, yeah. I'm really sorry, so bad with the terminology, but essentially the, the men foot on soldiers, the ground. Yeah. yeah. Um, who were, we hear from a guy who got trench foot and he's describing the pain of that. Yeah. He's describing the PTSD that he suffered from seeing men around him die, being aimed at by a sniper. And, you know, the detail is really quite incredible. But you just feel so kind of heartbroken for these men growing up in an era where to talk about it was probably not as bad as in the 40s and Mm. 50s, the men who fought in the Second World War. 
certainly nowhere near as bad as the First World War, but just still the idea of trauma not ever being discussed and open, you know. Oh, things have moved on so much in yeah. that respect. But you really felt that these men, a lot of them, hadn't really talked about it much in public. No. There was a lot of very upright men of not much older than me, actually, because mm. they will have been very young when they yeah. fought. They're living it still. Mm -hmm. They are living with the repercussions of what they went through 40 years ago. And the rest of us, well, I'm a good illustration, we've moved on. We'd mm -hmm. actually sort of forgotten about it. Yeah. And that is terrible. Yeah. And particularly with everything going on in Ukraine as well, it's really, really making me think. So I imagine this will definitely get an audience and I hope it will make people really think about what could have gone so much worse, actually, for our it forces. Did, it was interesting to hear how many times different people said, and that was the point that, give or take 10 minutes, we could have lost the war. Yeah. And they said that multiple times. Yeah, I think probably if they wanted to attract a younger audience, they needed to do more explaining. Mm. And I don't even... I think, to be fair to military people, they don't even realise that they're using terminology. Mm -hmm. It just comes so naturally yeah. to them. But again, it really made me think, and it, it brought back some memories. So mm. it will do, I'm sure, to lots of other people who were around at the time. It's the Falklands War, the untold story, Channel 4, on the 27th at 9 o'clock. Now, um, correspondence, what have you got, Rihanna? So we have an email from Deborah who says, I'd seen an ad for Murder in Provence, but wasn't sure if it would be for us until I heard you review it. Well, anything which is reminiscent of Inspector Morse while also having the sunshine of death in paradise definitely sounded worth a watch. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Lots of dry heat, wine, domestic humour, good mysteries and some of our favourite actors. I particularly like the way they managed to give the impression that they were French actors who'd been dubbed into English. <laughs> this is what I loved about <laughs> The naffness of it. So ridiculous. <laughs> I've now started researching flights to Provence. <laughs> yeah, they can go on the train to Provence. Can you indeed? Yeah. Thanks, Deborah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, it's still one of my hot recommendations. <laughs> hot uh, recommendations. <laughs> Murder in Provence. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Podcast at radiotimes.com. Now, the Oscars, Sunday the 27th of March. Um, we thought it'd be quite useful as a public service to let you know which of the nominees we're excited about and where you can watch their films on your screens at home because um, some of them have just sort of passed us by. So, Rihanna, what are your picks? Well, we've talked quite a lot about The Power of the Dog, which picked up Best Film, Best director at the BAFTAs. That's obviously on Netflix, along with The Lost Daughter. I mean, Netflix has got a lot of films on here, Don't Look Up, which I didn't recommend because I really don't like that film. I thought but it was okay. If you, if you must watch it, it's on yeah. Netflix. Um, we have uh, quite a couple on Apple Plus. Coda, which is the film about a hearing girl in a deaf family and about her dreams of becoming a singer but she's working in this tiny fishing community which again Troy Cotsburg won Best Sporting Actor at the BAFTAs for that, he plays the father then you have Belfast which is Kenneth Branagh's Troubles based black and white movie which is a really sweet sort of film, I think I'm slightly surprised at the amount of awards attention it's got and I think, I suspect it's just because it's Kenneth Branagh yeah. um, starring Judy Dench, actually it's Judy Dench let's blame Judy Dench for the awards attention she, I mean <laughs> she generally has to walk to a, her own wardrobe, <laughs> open the door and she gets an award <laughs> That's out on demand, digital downloads, etc. from the 11th of April. A lot of people will have already seen June on the big screen, um, but June and Belfast and King Richard are all available on digital download. King Richard, of course, is about the Venus and Serena, the Williams sisters and their father. To be honest, most films um, that have been Oscar nominated, you will be able to find on digital download 
and they will, I'm sure, come for free on streaming platforms later. Do the Oscars matter anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. It's, it's Thank you, I don't often get that response. <laughs> It's well. It's a question that we we're kind of getting more and more. Just not just with the Oscars, but with award ceremonies gen- generally, whether they are still relevant, whether they represent what audiences actually are interested in, and what we and, watch. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say in reference to that, The Power of the Dog is not a film that everyone has seen. No, is it? It just isn't. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is a huge name, but Jane Campion does make quite arty art house films. It, it won't appeal to everybody. It's a very quiet, slow film as well, and it's. It is be- I love The Power of the Dog, I really do. Is there a film that's going to dominate or will awards go everywhere? Well, awards kind of went everywhere at the BAFTAs. Um, I think June is going to do incredibly well in the technicals because it is an incredible film technically. I, I, I just think the Jane Campion sort of star power will carry that forward. People really love her in the industry. But what you were saying about are they still relevant? I think with so much controversy with Time's Up and Me Too and Oscars So White, it does feel like there is less and less interest every single year. And this is why they're trying to boil it down now. They're trying to get rid of the craft awards altogether and not even air them at all because they want to make the ceremony shorter because they know that people aren't going to watch hours-long ceremony. But then just get rid of all the guff in between. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than just, like, dismissing cinematography. Why don't you just ring up everybody's won an award and then ping it off to them in <laughs> via parcel force and not bother the rest of us? Anyway, that'll be, that'll be where it gets in a couple of years, I suspect. One thing I will say about voting is that with the BAFTA with the BAFTA nominations there is one award which gets voted for by the public which is the EE Rising Star Award and for the EE Rising Star Award I think at least going back to Daniel Kaluuya if not further back which was four or five years ago every single winner of that has been a young black British actor and I just think that's a really interesting thing to look at in terms of that's what young people are voting for that's what the public are voting for and when we're turning and looking and thinking that all of these categories are overwhelmingly white which to be fair this year they they weren't I think it's really nice to acknowledge that the public don't vote in the same way that BAFTA or Oscar voters do. Lashana Lynch won it this year and she was the new 007 in Bond and um she was also in Captain Marvel and she's brilliant. I I interviewed her uh, just before the BAFTAs for International Women's Day and she's an absolute delight, very inspiring, very cool woman. Thumbs up. And I gather you'll be involved in Oscars coverage. Yeah, sadly I'm not going to be in LA, oh. but I am going to be in a studio um, in West London somewhere talking to Alex Zane all about the Oscars in the lead up to it. Well, it'll be a big night for you. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. So there is a huge spread in this week's Radio Times all about where you can find the Oscar-nominated films. But just to give you some of my highlights, uh, Summer of Soul is such a brilliant music doc and it's out on Disney Plus now. And it's just, it's about a festival that took place in the same year as Woodstock, but in Harlem. So a completely different atmosphere and just such a joyful experience all round. And it has just won the BAFTA for Best Documentary. It's a shame because Flea, which was this incredible animation about a refugee fleeing from Syria has been nominated for like best documentary, best animation, best foreign film. And I don't think it's going to win any of them. And it is such a shame because it's the most beautiful film. But it's it's one of those reasons why Oscars, it's not just about the winners. Let's just remember that. Yeah. Tick, tick, boom is, we slag this off a little bit on the podcast, but 
I gave it another watch and I think Andrew Garfield's performance is so good and I really liked it a lot more second time around. That's on Netflix. He's been nominated for Best Actor, Andrew Garfield. Right. Another film that we talked about a lot or that I talked about a lot and spoke to Lin-Manuel about was Encanto, which is on Disney+, Plus, which is just the most joyous animation about a magical family uh, in Colombia. And then Being the Ricardos, which was all about Nicole Kidman's performance for me. And you can find that on Amazon Prime, all about... Lucille Ball yeah. and I Love Lucy. Um, OK, so that's the Oscars thoroughly run down. You are now in the know and you can catch up with some of those films that will win awards that you haven't seen so far. Now to the film which is doing absolutely brilliant business on Netflix now. It is The Adam Project. It's just come out. People are raving. Number one in the charts. One of the biggest performing films for Netflix ever. Well, I'm personally puzzled as to why it's done so well. It does star Ryan Reynolds and Mark Ruffalo. And they're meeting in another film, but this time not a Marvel one. So um, we'll discuss it after a clip. What's your plan? Well, I'm not going to explain my plan to a 12-year-old nerd with an You don't have I do not a plan. have a plan, but I know somebody who does. Dad. I'm the godfather of time travel? The Atom Project. We don't pull this off. We're not getting back. What do you say, kid? You were the best part all along. Get to be so smart. How'd you get to be so dumb? Let's try. Oh, it's got all your favourites. I love. I do like Mark Ruffalo. Oh, I know. He is a cutie. He is just one of those. He's just so watchable in everything. He's he just. Does. He's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> he's just seems so good natured. He's also got wavy hair, and there just aren't enough of us <laughs> on screen. Uh, so I always give him my time. Okay. Um, the plot's about time travel. I really oh, like that. That was your way of saying that you quite fancy Mark no, Ruffalo. I didn't say that. <laughs> the plot is about time travel. So. Um, I don't do any sorts of physics. So come on, Rihanna, explain the plot of The Adam Project. (laughs) Yes, it is quite a tricky one to explain. So Ryan Reynolds um, is Adam and he travels back through a wormhole from 2050 to the present day, 2022. Yeah. Where he meets his 12-year-old self, Adam, and um, together they've got to try and stop this evil villain Mm. from abusing time travel in the future. Yeah. I mean, like like the plot of almost every film around <laughs> that isn't a rom-com or something directed by Jane Campion, yeah. it's about Explosions a cute, a cute young boy and a handsome man <laughs> trying to stop Dr Evil doing something evil. Yeah, in a nutshell. And to do that, they have to go back it further in time to meet their father, who is Mark Ruffalo. So Keep this up is, at the back. This is why Mark Ruffalo is playing... The father of Ryan Reynolds, yeah. even though they're probably around the same age. To be the father, no. Jennifer Garner plays Ryan Reynolds' mother, so yes. get your head around that one. Mm-hmm. I love Jennifer Garner, by the way. I think she's phenomenal in everything, but she is so underused. So Jennifer Garner always plays really lovely mums. <laughs> like she was in Juno, for example. Right. Um, she was in Love Simon. Um, if you're a massive nerd, then you will realise that we have Deadpool in this movie. We have the Hulk. We also have Gamora because Zoe Saldana plays Ryan Reynolds' wife. And we also have Electra, who is Jennifer Garner. So this is full of Easter eggs in terms of Marvel and yeah and, and Deadpool and the Hulk have never been in a film together oh, haven't they? so it's very very exciting I'm barely awake <laughs> 
they're in a film together in some capacity here. And there are a couple of references to that. It's very Spielberg-y, right? It feels like he 100% would have directed this. Yeah, I mean, it felt like E.T. at times. Yes, E.T. And also really Star Wars. There are so many Star Wars references. It's still trying to play on that nostalgic thing that Stranger Things also came off the back of. Um, Those films of the 80s, those adventure movies about a young boy. Also, a a, a real... Lots of log cabins. People (laughs) living in log cabins. Beautiful log cabins. All beautiful. All beautifully well-equipped. Yeah, it's true. Um, And I'm sort of a bit past all that. And it's wildly successful on Netflix. Yes. Is it actually any good or doesn't it really matter? It entertained me well enough, I have to say. I think it's a film that you can absolutely pick holes in. There are so many, you know, when I was writing it down, I was thinking, I've got so many issues with this movie. However, I really enjoyed watching it. I honestly did. I don't know if I was a a little bit premenstrual because I cried a lot. And I think it was probably... I think you were. I I don't think it deserved as many of my tears as it got. Because I'm I'm postmenstrual. I didn't... (laughs) didn't shed a tear at all (laughs) it is the whole kind of father-son relationship is very sweet and you know the little boy playing the younger ryan reynolds was kind of adorable and did did played his part really really well don't think the director got the best performances out of the actors if i'm completely honest i think i don't think mark ruffalo was actually that good in it i'm not entirely sure mark was awake no periods of the film i don't think he was either and also catherine keener who is she's in get out she's the brilliant woman in get out who does the sink into the floor sink and it's ter- it's a terrifying performance and in this again playing someone very evil i thought she was rubbish and they do that weird technology thing where she meets her younger self in it and they've made her they've done that de-aging process yes and it looked so weird yeah she she what you're right about her she simply wasn't that evil she looked like somebody who'd been over promoted <laughs> In a sort oh my of, god, yes! In a traditional British office yes. setting. That's exactly what she looked <laughs> Thank you. Like. And wasn't entirely at ease with herself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. That's such a great description. If you're looking for a way to fill an hour and I think it was three quarters, this is amiable enough, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a romp, right? That's what they describe it as. An enjoyable romp. Through time. So that's the Adam Project on Netflix now. Right, Jane, it's time for our quiz of the week. You have to guess the year from these cryptic clues. But first, do we need the fanfare? Yes, we do. Yeah, okay. I always feel like I'm in Shrek. <laughs> you are. We are. We both are. <laughs> so, your first clue is that friends debuted in the UK for the first time. And here's a clip from one of the early episodes where Monica's supposedly not going on a date. There's nothing to tell. It's just some guy I work with. Come on. You're going out with the guy. There's got to be something wrong with him. So does he have a hump, a hump and a hairpiece? Wait, does he eat chalk? Just because I don't want her to go through what I went through with Carl. Um, Okay, everybody relax. This is not even a date. It's just two people going out to dinner and not having sex. Sounds like a date to me. (laughs) That's still a really good line. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I wasn't a big Friends fan. I knew you wouldn't be. As soon as that started, I was like, of course you wouldn't be interested. Uh, ITV provides coverage of the Rugby World Cup from South Africa. So here's the clip from the final where South Africa beat New Zealand. Scrum South Africa. Now surely... 
the dream must have come true. They've just got to get the ball from this scrum and keep possession. And that's the way they'll do it, keeping it in the middle of the back and going for the line. Back it comes to you, Sven de Vestesen. Little knock forward, but that's it. South Africa have won the World Cup. Listening to sports commentary from, like, I won't say from when, no. is uh, <laughs> I just find so boring and bizarre. Carry on with the quiz. This final clue I'm really, really annoyed about because if you'd given this to me, I'd have got it in a second. This is not about you. And I'm furious. It's about me. <laughs> What's the clue? So the BBC adaptation of Pride and Predge with Colin with Colin and Jennifer debuts on BBC One. And here's a clip of the brilliant Mrs Bennett getting overexcited. Oh, Lydia, I beg you would stop for we are never to know Mr Bingley and it pains me to hear of him. But, Mama... I am sick of Mr Bingley! I'm sorry to hear that. If I'd known as much this morning, I should never have called on him. You have called on him! I'm afraid we cannot escape the acquaintance now. Oh, my dear Mr Bennett, how good you are to us! Yeah, well, well. <laughs> oh, girls, girls, is he not a good father? Yeah. And never to tell us what a good joke! <laughs> oh, and now you shall all dance with Mr Bingley! Alison Steadman, it's, it's just her greatest role. I didn't actually realise that was her. That was yes, Alison Stedman. Alison Stedman and Benjamin Whitrow. Oh, yeah. Not that I'm a huge fan of this programme or no. anything and would have got it in one. Do you know, I think I might prefer Bridgerton. That's terrible. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe you just said that. Um, OK, I'm, I'm actually not that certain, so I'm going... Do you want some more clues? Go on, yeah. So this was the year in which the Diary of Bridget Jones's column was first published in The Independent. Right. It was the driest summer in recorded English history. Right. And Robbie Williams, you'll get it it. from this, yeah. (laughs) Robbie Williams left Take That in this year. Oh, actually. They didn't have to open a helpline for that, did they? I think, I suspect I rang it. (laughs) Um, 2002. Oh, yes. So far off. Oh, no, what was it? I get to be smug. What was it? (laughs) Come on, have another guess. I honoured 1998. 1995. Oh, my goodness, I'm rubbish. You're so rubbish. Dear, terrible. I'm sorry about that. But it's given you a cheap thrill, hasn't it? Yeah, really, that was the cheapest thrill, but I needed it. Now, don't forget, the Radio Times is out today. It will include writing by Rihanna Dillon. (laughs) What have you done? I did a review of La La Land and A Knight's Tale, both of which are out on Mothering Sunday. Oh, very nice. And I have interviewed Charlotte Moore, who is the most powerful woman in the history of the BBC. And also, as we mentioned him earlier, Gordon Ramsay is on the cover of the Radio Times this week. Now, if you want a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've talked about, uh, make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. You can follow and join us every week. You can email us, podcast at radiotimes.com. And if you want to subscribe to the Radio Times so you don't miss it, because it does sell out, you can visit buysubscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times. This podcast is produced by... Something else. And it's for... Immediate Media. It is. Have a good week. Thanks. Thanks.